Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and we explore the world around us. We are the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Jared. And I'm Ethan. And today we have an awesome guest with us, Brendan Kamarasamy from Master Talk. He is a, a, a speech coach. He is a YouTuber. Uh, his YouTube channel is Master Talk. Uh, he has uh, uh, done coaching with uh, executives all the way down, you know, CEOs of multi-million, billion-dollar companies, all the way down to uh, a, a group of, of young girls that just want to become better communicators. And so he drops some bombs of wisdom on us on how we can communicate better, how we can be better speakers, and how we can master our talk. Let's get into it. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Most valuable commodity I know of is information. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. Either you're somebody or you're nobody. You're not the devil. You're practice. All right. Welcome. Welcome. Today we have uh, an awesome guest with us today, Brendan Kumarasamy from Master Talk. Uh, he is a, a speech coach, uh, a YouTuber. Uh, he has a YouTube channel, Master Talk, that's got tens of thousands of subscribers. Uh, he uh, does the speech training, and, and we had him on the podcast today to, to help us to understand a little bit more about public speaking and uh, the mastering of our of our speech and of our talk. So, Brandon, welcome. Ethan, Jared, pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I guess I also saw, did I see correctly on your Instagram that are you a, a, a dad as well? No, I'm not a dad. I sort of oh, I saw you holding a tender little baby on your Instagram. I didn't know. Oh, yeah, that's my niece. She, she, oh, she okay. just turned one this year. So, yeah, super excited to see her. That's good. That's good practice. That's good practice for sure. Awesome. Well, Brennan, I know that Ethan just introduced you, but maybe it'd be good to give the audience a little bit of sense of who you are, where you started. I know that you've been doing this for maybe three or four years now from what I've timeline I can gather from on your social media presence. But maybe tell us a little bit about how you got started and, and what you've been doing. Of course, Jared. Happy to do that. So for me, the origin story started in business school. I studied in accounting out of all the things. So it literally has nothing to do with what I'm doing today. Because I never thought you could be a communication coach. I didn't really see that as a career path. And I didn't grow up with a lot of money. My parents were factory workers. So I just wanted to be successful in business and be the first person to graduate from university. So that's what I focused on, team. But then what happened was in that journey, I started competing in case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were like playing football or rugby or baseball or basketball. I'm not one of those guys you can tell from looking at me. So I did <laughs> presentations competitively. That's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the students on communication so that they could win competitions and get the jobs that I wanted. And that accidentally made me really good at communication coaching. So I started the YouTube channel, Master Talk, mostly on a whim in my mom's basement. This was like four years ago, I think, because I just felt that none of the information was available for free and it just turned into a, what it is today. 
Awesome. And today you have what, 25 ish thousand subscribers on YouTube? Yeah, something like that. Awesome. And you also do uh, private coaching as well. Yeah, so that happened after the fact, Jared. So essentially, I started making videos. And then nine or 10 months into MasterTalk, I got really lucky. I met my business partner, Vamsi, who's around 20 to 25 years older than I am. And he's the one who encouraged me to charge executives a high premium. And I looked at him and I said, they're going to People are going to pay 23-year-old thousands of dollars for coaching. You're crazy. And he looked at me and he said, I'll be the first one. He gave me 10 clients. And I was like, uh, okay. So this guy, obviously, he really believed in me. He took a chance on me. But I realized I could build a business on top of it later. So, yeah, I went full-time on it a few years after that. I think that's I think that's really cool that it's kind of your <clears> – well, I mean, your your business is literally practicing what you preach. Uh, which is, is really cool. I mean, you're going out and you're talking to, um, these executives or you're talking to groups of people or companies or even just individuals on, you know, you have tons of videos on so many different topics on Instagram and on YouTube. And it's, it's really cool. And I think I remember from one of your videos, you were like, you know, whether you're a a CEO of a, of a multimillion dollar company or, a, a seven-year-old girl that wants to be more confident or something like that, that, you know, it's, you, you can, you can do that. Um, and it just takes practice and it takes understanding. It takes that, uh, you know, kind of that just learning that presence, which is, which is really cool. Appreciate that, Ethan. Absolutely. So one thing that, that kind of wanted to kick off, um, is a lot of people public speaking and just, um, just talking in general, whether it's giving a discourse to a thousand people or whether it's going up to a, 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 a girl that you find attractive and, and talking to her, right? A lot of people are just paralyzed uh, by, by public speaking. And I, I kind of had a question, and this actually is not on the list from the questions I sent you, so we're going to riff about this. Why, why do you think that is? For sure. Don't worry, I got an answer for anything, hopefully. (laughs) Let's find out, Ethan. So when I started podcasting and I started MasterTalk, I had a really bad answer to that question. So I would say like Los Angeles, San Diego. I don't know where this has come from. But over the years, I I think my explanation has gotten a little bit better. So let's talk about this. Where do we learn how to speak, how to give formal presentations? The answer, Ethan and Jared, is presentations in the education system. Think elementary school, high school. That's where we learn how to speak, whether we grew up in the U.S., Canada, or any other country around the world. But the problem here is that all of those presentations have three fundamental challenges. The first one is they're all mandatory. We don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, Jared, Ethan, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Nobody says that. Nobody does that. Mm -hmm. So that's problem one. Problem two is every presentation we do in the education system is never tied to our passions. So it's never, hey guys, what are you passionate about? Media, podcasting, personal development, fitness, you know, sharing growth. No, you had to talk about Shakespeare and poetry and you have to get over it. So that's number two. And then number three is all of those presentations are tied to a punishment. So every time you don't do a great job, not only do you not get points, you get punished for it. You lose points 
So we grow up believing, guys, that communication is a chore. So it becomes one, and nobody wants to get better at doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. I, I think that that's a really insightful uh, way to view things. I think that's definitely uh, kind of in formative years, and I think that carries over into the uh, professional sphere. Uh, to where people are afraid to get in trouble at work or afraid to open their mouths in a way to seem less intelligent or like they don't know what's going on. Uh, professionally, I've learned that people act like they don't know what's going on, but reality, nobody knows what's going on. And so I've kind of determined that like, if I don't know what's going on in a meeting uh, and I've been paying attention, uh, probably nobody else knows what's going on in that meeting. So I, I'm not afraid to speak up at that point and ask, hey, can you explain this more or help me understand this? Because there's likely four or five other people in there because I've been in those meetings and I've messaged those other people and say, hey, what is she talking about? What is going on? What is this? And they're all saying, I don't know either. <laughs> so sometimes just being able to speak up uh, and voice a concern and that's more like voicing concerns, I guess, as opposed to public speaking, but I guess it's all related. Exactly, Jared. It is all related. So for me, communication, public speaking, isn't really speaking on a stage. It's definitely one important part of it. But for me, it's every area of communication. It's the way we talk to our families, it's the way that we raise our children, it's the way that we talk to coworkers, it's the way that we make new friends, and even the way we order food at a restaurant, right? That's why I always say communication is about leading a more fulfilling life, and it also improves the quality of one's life, too. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a a funny anecdote to that. Uh, I uh, know a guy uh, who's a, a a pretty good friend. Uh, he's a little bit older than I am. He has uh, kids that are are, are teenage. Uh, this guy sounds kid. really sketchy. <laughs> I know some guy who's a friend. He has kids. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to keep it relatively anonymous. Um, but, uh, he is an amazing guy. Um, and it's kind of interesting because he's trying to teach his son who was dating age at the time, um, kind of how to, to, to be independent when it comes to dating. And so, um, his son was really nervous and, and it was, uh, it was going to go out on the, on his first date and his son couldn't drive, um, and so, and this was, it was kind of like, you know, mid teens or early 16 years old or whatever. And so his dad, this guy that I know, uh, this non-shady guy, he uh, he says, okay, well, how about, you know, your mom and I are going to go out to dinner. How about you and your friend, that's a girl, uh, you guys come with us and you sit, uh, you know, we'll sit on one side of the restaurant and, and you two can sit on the other side of the restaurant and you can have your, you know, have your date and you can order dinner and whatever else. And so the guy, the, the boy, his teenage son was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And so they went and did that. And, um, I guess the, the, the son had never ordered dinner or ordered food from a restaurant by himself before. And so he, he got over at this table and he got really nervous whenever the waiter came over and he was like, uh, he ended up ordering like two or three entree meals. Uh, it's just like, oh, I want this, I want that, I want this too. And he ordered like three meals. And the girl, she was kind of like, well, I'm just going to follow what he does. And so she ordered like three meals as well. And so like my the, the my friend, this, this guy, he looks over and their table is like 
full of food and he's just like what the heck is going on and so you know it, it, i i tell this story because they kind of in the end they just kind of chalked it up to well it's a learning experience right it was it was a failure and whatever else but yeah, everybody laughed about it and it was kind of you know w- we all grew from it uh but it was just kind of interesting yeah that it's uh, communication is not always uh you know, failure and and speaking in front of a huge crowd. It can also be, you know, just kind of learning yourself and communicating in in, in smaller, tight-knit situations. Uh, But I think the important thing is learning from that and growing. And so it's interesting. (laughs) I love that. That's hilarious. What a story. I learned so much from that. Never heard of that happening before. (laughs) They had lots of leftovers, I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, this is for a date three, four, and five. You gotta come over and yeah, I'm pre-ordering for date three, four, and five. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, uh, Brendan, maybe we could start with just kind of a basic question for you. When someone is, let's say someone's at work or they're in school, and they want to prepare to give a speech, uh, let's just say a five-minute talk, maybe some slides, maybe not accompanied by slides. Uh, how should they? get ready to prepare that. I know that in some of your uh, social media, you've talked about cue cards, you've talked about just memorizing the speech, or or how would you uh, suggest someone go about preparing for like, say a five to 10 minute speech in front of a group of people? For sure, Jared. So, So here's what I would share. I teach a strategy called jigsaw puzzles. So puzzles, obviously we all know jigsaw puzzles, those toys used to play as kids, right? You put a put those pieces together and we probably still do them. So now the question becomes when we do a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do we start with first? And the answer is the edges because they're easier to find in the box. You create that outline and you work your way into the middle. So now the question becomes, why don't we do that in communication? Because in communication, unfortunately guys, we do the opposite, we start the middle. We shove a bunch of content in our presentations. We get to the presentation. We ramble throughout the whole thing. And then the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, so um, thanks. Not the right approach. So instead of what you want to do is practice optimally like a jigsaw puzzle. In other words, start with the introduction. Just practice the intro 20 to 25 times. You can write the whole speech kind of on a Word document, but just practice the intro 25 times. Don't worry about memorizing. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you'll see yourself improving a lot faster because 20 to 25 times sounds like a big number, but it only takes 40 to 45 minutes to get that done because your intro is like a minute or two. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie, right? So same thing with the close, then tackle the middle. Yeah, that's a good, uh, interesting strategy. So would you recommend folks for the middle part, should they have cue cards? Should they be looking at their slides? Or would you suggest that they get to the point where they have everything in their mind, in their memory, so that they don't need to look at anything during that speech? 
for sure, Jared. I just didn't want to monologue for five minutes. That's why. No, no you're so, good. <laughs> monologue for as long as you'd like. Hey, you're all good. So now, how do we figure out the middle? So let me start with the beginning, which is what happens when we apply puzzle, even if we're just inventing the presentation, we're writing out the whole thing, we have no idea what we're doing. What, what's happening with puzzle from a psychological level is that it's improving momentum and motivation to keep practicing. So let me give you an example. Let's say all of us are doing some 10-minute speech for work. And we got two hours to practice it. So what do we do? The first hour we practice, it's probably 15 minutes since we're three people. So we practice it three or four times. It's been an hour, we're tired. We don't see that much progress and we get lunch and then we don't practice anymore, even if we book two, three hours. That's what happens in the real world. Whereas when we do puzzle, the intro is just me or it's just Ethan or it's just you, Jared. So you're practicing that 15, 20 times. And after 30 minutes, you're like, oh wow, this is really, really good. And let's say Ethan's doing the close and he's practicing on his own, his conclusion. Wow, this is really, really good. So now we're motivated. Now it's like, okay, now let's tackle the middle. So that psychology is really important to understand. That's why I like puzzle. So now diving into the middle, what do we need to remember? We need to remember that at the end of the day, there's one key idea that we're trying to share in that whole presentation. Because if we have too many key ideas, people don't remember a thing. So if there's one thing that we want people to remember, what is that thing? So for example, in this podcast, I only have one intention, and that intention is to convince people through the simplicity of how I communicate my ideas that any human being on earth can be an exceptional communicator. That's really the belief. So notice how whenever I give an answer, it's never super complicated with seven different frameworks. It's like puzzle, jigsaws, do this, this. They're like, oh, that's actually really easy. I could do that tomorrow. So it gives them confidence. And then the last piece to that structure is once we figure out what the key idea is, we implement what I call three to defend. So three to defend just means what are three stories, three anecdotes, three analogies, three statistics, doesn't matter what it is, that helps me best defend my message. Where at the end of my presentation, I go, your key idea is absolutely correct. And that's how you structure a pitch. Awesome. Well said. I think that's a great message. I think, um, and, and that kind of leads into one of the questions that, that, that I had is <clears throat> a lot of times, um, and this is more, more of a, a, a comic, you, you kind of answered it, but there's a lot of times people will feel kind of that nervousness and they'll feel uncomfortable and they will write out a presentation or you know a, a, a talk or a speech at church right and they're going to speak to a congregation they'll write it out word for word and they'll memorize it and then they'll get up and they'll they'll say it and I'm not going to say you know you kind of alluded to it at the beginning there's no right way and wrong way to, to to do it it's just there's just different ways and different strategies that probably work best for for certain people are there um, uh, are there s- certain tactics that you see as far as um, kind of self-preparation that work better than others what like you know bullet points or writing what once you define what the beginning middle and end is uh, writing it word for word and memorizing it or just kind of riffing or going with the flow winging it a little bit what what seems to work best in in, in a presentation for sure Ethan so happy to simplify this So let me start with this. I'm not a big fan of memorizing speeches, and I'll tell you why. Because if you forget a sentence, it cripples you. You get really stressed out around every little word, and that's not the approach. 
So every coach is different, but my point of view on this is when we practice doing the harder thing, the speech that we're actually delivering becomes easy. So it's kind of like going to the gym, right? If you do the heavy lifting, if you're doing light workouts, it's really easy to get through them. So it's the same analogy here. So let's, let me explain it a little bit differently. For me, communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time you do. So one of those balls is eye contact. One of them is smiling. One of them is high vocal tones, low vocal tones, storytelling, body language. And it can get really confusing really fast. So now the question becomes, what are the three easiest balls to juggle? So we talked about structure and puzzles, but in my, in my lexicon, that's more, let's say, ball five, six, seven, which is still good. Like people can implement puzzle tomorrow. But now the easier question becomes, and then we'll tie it back into the church speech, Ethan, is what's ball one, two, and three? So let's start with one, which is the random word exercise. So the random word exercise, you pick a random word like faucet, like sink, like microphone, like light bulb, and you create random presentations out of thin air with no preparation. So there's two reasons why we recommend the exercise. The first one is because life is filled with uncertainty. So it helps you deal with that. So another church example, let's say you go into church. Sometimes you get asked to give a speech. You didn't have time to prepare for it. Hey, Ethan, I saw you were there. The other guy who's supposed to present isn't. Can you just jump up and give something because we need it for the sermon? And you're just like, okay. So you just have to come up. So life is filled with uncertainty. Small talk too. Let's talk about dating since we talked about it earlier. If you go on a first date, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what questions are going to be asked. You have no clue how, what, how many entrees the girl's going to order, right? To, to use your analogy. So life is uncertain. So we need to learn how to deal with that uncertainty. And the second reason is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. So I would start there and it makes those church speeches a lot easier to deliver. I like that. And that's like one activity we do kind of for fun at work as kind of like a holiday, sh uh, like a party thing. It's always fun. We, we, everybody puts together like a 10 slide uh, PowerPoint presentation of just yeah. random stuff. Uh, we call it slideshow karaoke. Yep. Uh, and then you, uh, <clears throat> basically get a, go into the group and you each just mix, you pick somewhere and random person's uh, slideshow. And then you have to present it uh, one minute per slide and tell some type of cohesive story throughout that slideshow. So you're like looking for like any little thing to keep a story going. And it's almost like a, a story you're just weaving as you go, but also you're trying to present it like a professional. So it's, I, I, I think it's fun exercise because it kind of puts you in a, a you know, a situation where you have to present professionally, but you also have to present uh, something that you didn't even prepare and you have no idea and you're just going off these slides. And so it's pretty fun. Have you, have you ever done that? Sounds like you're, you're nodding. So it sounds like you have done stuff like that. No, I, I love that you, you guys are doing it. I think that's super <laughs> cool, Jared. The, the only caveat I would draw, because we call it PowerPoint karaoke, but it's the same thing at the end of the day, is the only caveat here is the random word exercise is actually infinitely easier than PowerPoint karaoke. <laughs> yes. So I would just encourage people to start with that first. Because that's just like, you're, yeah. you could be alone in your house and just click a word like light bulb. But of course, if you can get through my first three balls in puzzle, for sure, I would definitely do PowerPoint <laughs> karaoke. That will definitely level you up for sure. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So uh, another question I had 
and this is specifically around you mentioned uh, you mentioned eye contact and tone of voice and using your hands and, and, and some of these different kind of balls that you're juggling all at one time. Uh, one thing that, that we've all probably noticed is that just through a COVID world and because of where we currently are, there's just been such an increase in virtual meetings and looking at somebody through a camera or a group of people through the camera. What are some tactics that you have seen that have worked to be a better communicator over the phone or through Zoom like we're talking right now? For sure, Ethan, great question. So the same principles apply, right? We're puzzled, you can apply that online, but there's three main differences that we have to keep in mind. One is eye contact, to your point. So when you're in person, you have to move your head around to talk to the different people in the room and to make eye contact with them. But when you're in an online setting, you're actually only supposed to look at in one direction, whether there's one person on the call or 10,000, which is the camera lens. So you give the illusion that you're looking at everyone directly. So the way you do that is you can have a post-it note that has an arrow pointed that says, look here or else. I like that one's a little bit more sarcastic. You can put your favorite food next to the lens, your family, so that you're always looking at the lens. So that's tip number one. The second piece is energy. Let's face it. It's a lot easier to show up with energy when you're in person. And the reason is because of accountability. Right, like I'm wearing pajamas right now as I'm talking to you guys. So even if I'm bringing the energy, right, it's it's hard. It's hard to take online presentations as serious as in person because everyone can smell you too. So you have to shower and do all those things. So what does that mean? The answer is bring more energy in person and transfer as much of that energy as possible online. So if you guys met me in person, I'm like a rocket. So if I'm bringing the energy here in an online Zoom call, when you're in person, I'm like overwhelming <laughs> for people. So that's the second piece. Third piece is accessibility. When you're in person, let's say all of us were in person. I say, hey, I want, I want both of your feedback on how I did today. You say, hey, let's just get lunch and talk about it. You're right there, right? It's accessible. There's no friction. Whereas when you're on a Zoom call, let's say you're giving a speech, the call just ends. And there's, there's a ton of friction to get access to your audience. So what you want to do is get on calls with people prior to the event and just get to know them so you can bring more energy to the call and tailor the message more effectively. Yeah, I, I, th I think I've also I've seen somewhere, maybe you can uh, correct me on this or agree or disagree, uh, but that sometimes even on Zoom calls, uh, I like to sometimes have my camera a little bit further back so that people can see more of me. So that way, sometimes when I do talk with my hands uh, and I get passionate about a subject, they're like, oh, hey, you know, I feel like that's a little bit better. Uh, maybe over Zoom, I, I feel like in person when I'm, when I'm chatting uh, with someone giving a presentation, I do tend to talk with my hands sometimes. And I guess it, I feel like it animates me more and it helps people be more clear about the what I'm talking about. Uh, do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? I mean, I definitely don't think it's a bad idea, Jared. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not really a stickler for rules, right? That's why I like universal principles. So, so for me, the only answer I would give is like, what is my definition of communication? Which is simply, how do we convey an idea in a way that achieves a specific outcome for a specific audience? 
how do we convey an idea in a way that achieves a specific outcome for a specific audience? So when we look at that definition, that could mean a bunch of different things. That could be we're giving a work presentation. That could be convincing our significant other that we should have Mexican food tonight and not Chinese food, right? It's all it's all communication because we're all conveying an idea. So going back to to your example, you're making a great decision because you're saying what is the best way for me to convey this idea in a way that achieves my outcome. And it seems that turning my camera a little bit backward is helping me with that. So if you're hitting your objectives. I'm I'm happy for you. That's the way I would think. <laughs> nice, appreciate it. I, I was uh, looking through your social media, some of your videos on social media on your Instagram, and uh, which we'll put in the in the episode notes for those listeners that want to go definitely follow Brendan. Uh, and what you told a story about uh, that I thought was really impactful about you uh, and came into a room with some roses once, uh, and how do you want to do you want to tell that story? Or do you Absolute, know what I'm talking about? <laughs> absolutely. That's I thought so, that was really powerful. Yeah, that's a really old story. I think you, hey, you man, really I did went my into research. the, <laughs> <went to> the <laughs> archives. That was like three and a half years ago. Yeah, so so the story was the first year I presented to a group of, of young teenage girls. And a teenage actually is a strong word. Some of them are seven years old. So it's like seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe twelve. And it was a Sunday morning. And nobody wanted to hear the guy in a suit give a communication workshop. Because at the time I was getting started, so I'd still wear a suit when I would go to these things, which is super funny, especially with if they're little girls. So I had to bring a ton of energy in the way that I'm conveying those ideas. And it was working, but I wasn't really getting the point across. So then what I did is the following year, I thought about bringing a bouquet of roses. Because the thought I would have is like, well, if I brought roses to the event, they would they would recognize it. So I actually didn't end up bringing roses. What I did instead is I had a picture of a ton of roses on my slides. So that when I, I popped it up, everyone looked at the slides and they were immediately engaged. They're like, why is there a bouquet of roses on the screen? And I looked at them and I said, the presentation does not begin when I open my mouth. The presentation begins when I walk in the room. And the reason I say that is because I used that picture because I knew that little girls like roses. Like what girl doesn't like flowers, right? And that's how we attracted them into our message and we got them engaged. So what's the message here? The message is you want to have deep conversation with your audience, understand who they are at a level, and this is for pros, at a level where they don't even understand themselves. If you can get to that level, you're a pro speaker. Or yeah, I guess in, in the corporate sense, um, if you can understand the motives of pe what people want before you go in and give that presentation. Uh, so for example, this I'm actually traveling right now for work. I came up to Pennsylvania uh, to help give a presentation uh, to some work, to some leaders at my work. And it's important to know what each of their uh, initiatives are what each of their objectives are this next year. So that when I present to them, I, I almost want to like build in things into each presentation to where it's like, I'll say something and then look at that person and wink because I know that that exactly lines with what they're doing. And then I'll say something else and I'll look at the other person and say, you know what I mean? And they're like, oh yeah, I do because it's exactly what I'm trying to do. So then if you can weave those different topics and their, um, <laughs> their initiatives into what you're saying, that's gonna be a lot more powerful. 
Absolutely, right? That we call it inclusive language, right? Where you take the little pieces from everybody and you inculcate it in the way you present your ideas and it gets it improves buy-in into your ideas. Completely agree. But I think it's also a double-edged sword uh, because, yeah, at one point it was I wasn't the only one presenting, but at one point there was one guy who was presenting and uh, there, you know, he was saying, "Oh, this is this experience is is bad and this is wrong. We need to fix this." Uh, and the person who was responsible for that was in the room, and then she uh, felt like she had to defend herself and say, "Well, you know, there's lots of reasons." And so. I, I okay, that's done after. badly. Yeah, exactly. So, because because you should only do it with positive things. Yeah. Right. So, for example, let's say your community. That's actually a terrible strategy. Don't do that. <laughs> right. So, let me give you an example. So, let's say I'm speaking on this podcast. I would say something like, "Hey, Jared, I really love the fact that you already did PowerPoint karaoke or slideshow presentations at the holiday. I think that's awesome, and that really ties into my next study. So, what I'm doing is I'm including you in the conversation by saying yeah. something positive. But you don't want to do it the negative sense. Hey, Jared, I really hate the fact that you brought this up. Like that just doesn't. <laughs> that definitely doesn't work. Yeah. So I, I pulled that guy aside after, and I was like, "Hey, man, that was a good presentation." But uh, uh, I felt like she was getting a little bit defensive over. It was a hard truth bomb that he laid on her, and it was absolutely true. But I felt like she she would have been more receptive to that truth bomb uh, had he said it a little bit differently. So <laughs> let, let me address that because I think it's important because because it's a good lesson. You could since you might be sending the podcast to that guy. I actually learned this from one of my best friends, um, Billy, who used to be he used to report two levels under Elon. So very successful guy. He's an SVP, the head of onboarding there at Tesla, and he said this so well. He said, "Whenever you're giving feedback." positive feedback so you should always praise in public but negative feedback should always be given privately so that we're not we're not humiliating the employee so when you praise in public and you give negative criticism privately you're always managing the energy of your teams really really well and i've always implemented that moving forward yeah that's good i like that i think that's great and it kind of goes along with you know, know your audience um, I think that's a huge part of communication and, and, and kind of, well, just something that it's, it's almost been a theme of what we've been talking about, too, is even, you know, do some p preliminary research and, you know, find out who you're talking to and potentially cater some of those talking points to certain people in the room. I mean, those are all some some really good tactics that I, I think can be used in, in all all sorts of communication. Uh, another question I, I had, and maybe this is a, a question for you more personally, is how has your study and teaching and growth and advancement and understanding uh, public speaking and just communication in general, how has that helped advance you both in, in a career but as well personally and in your personal relationships? For sure, Ethan, happy to answer that. Here, here's what I would say, a couple of things. The first one is me mastering communication was more of an accident. I never sat there and I said, I really want to master communication to get a job. It, I just was really competitive and I still am obviously. But when I was a kid, it was about winning those case competitions. And these schools were really, really good. So you needed to be a plus on stage or else you wouldn't get first you'd probably get like third or fourth place or something but if you you have to be exceptional to get the first place prize so that's the thought that we had 
So that's where my communication journey started. But then it led to a bunch of indirect impacts, which I learned how to manage teams really effectively because I was managing probably a group of 20 to 25 delegates when I was running the program as one of the executives in the student run thing. And the other piece that it taught me is, of course, how to excel in corporate. So when I got into my corporate career, it was obvious that I was significantly better at communication than most people in my age range and even some of the executives. So it was easier for me to stand out. And the third way that it benefited my career was really in the on the relationship side. So most of my, my the 20-year-olds that started with me or 25-year-olds, they were really nervous about approaching executives. But since I went through that pain early in my life, because I was I was cold emailing a bunch of partners when I was like 19. I didn't know what I was doing. They just, I guess they were just really nice to me. So they just gave me confidence. I was very confident approaching a ton of executives and asking them questions and building relationships. Then on the personal side, I would say the biggest one is really with my sister and my mom. Because I'm able to communicate ideas effectively with them and manage my vocal tones and all that fun stuff. I mean, I haven't argued with them in over 10 years and we all live together. So... I think that's the biggest benefit on communication. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a follow-up question to that is: in communication, is it better to be agreeable, or is it okay to be confrontational? Or you know, you say we haven't argued in in however long. Is that because um, the, the, the there's there's just a, a more of an acceptance of just okay, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, wrinkle any feathers or anything like that. Or, um, you know, how how has that worked? Is confrontation bad in communication? Not at all. So I think the answer is both, Ethan, because you're bringing up a good point, right? Because you can't be agreeable all the time. Because if you are, you you might be stepping on people's boundaries. But you also can't be confrontational all the time either or else it becomes a really negative relationship. I mean, both of you probably know this. You, you, you both give me the energy of people who are in relationships. That's, that's the, the vibe I'm getting. I could be wrong about this. <laughs> that is true. Energy, right? So the energy <laughs> I'm getting that you guys have, have relationships. I don't know why. It's just a guess. But, but the point I want to drive is both of you understand really well that you got to pick the right fights. Right, you don't you don't want to pick. I'll give you a funny example that happened this week, actually. So, so there's a tradition in my culture where I'm supposed to be vegetarian two days out of the year. And the reason is because of my dad passing. So there's like a celebration every every year where I'm supposed to be vegetarian, which honestly makes absolutely no sense to me. And it <laughs> like it's it's not about him or anything. He's a great guy. He lived he lived his life. He's a great person. But I think it more in the sense like why do I have to be vegetarian? He was never vegetarian when he was <laughs> when he's so it doesn't make sense. So this is 100% irrational, but I can see it. Like I, I, I'm, I'm vegetarian two days out of the year. Like it's okay because it's not a fight I need to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because my mom does so much for me. So, so I think the key is you got to pick the right battles. Whereas there's some things where I'm going to say, hey, look, no, that's not going to work for me. But, but that's how we resolve conflict. But I think the big piece is really the give and take. But the other piece, which is, I think, an even bigger issue, is most of us have terrible relationships with the people around us, minus, of course, the toxic people we can't, we can't really work on, because we don't do enough of what I, what I coined relationship visioning. So let's say you got, let's say you and your brother have different political views and you argue all the time. One's Republican, the other one's Democrat, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Jared can be the Democrat. Ethan's a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
right? Let's, let's say I'm the Republican. It doesn't matter, right? It's all the same thing. It doesn't matter. For me, for me, we're all eating the same Big Macs. We're all going to the same restaurants. We're all watching Netflix movies. It doesn't matter. Agreed. So let's say I'm the Republican and Jaren's the Democrat, and we're, we've been best friends for 20 years, okay? Yeah. And we fight all the time. But the problem that we don't come to terms with is we think about our relationship today, but we don't think enough about what do we want the relationship to look like in the future. So when I was younger with my mom, we'd fight all the time. But the reason we stopped fighting is because I said, well, that's not how I want the relationship to be for the rest of my life. Like after you're gone and I think about my life with my mother, like do I want to think about those memories? Well, no, of course not. So let's yeah. fix that. Whereas most of us don't bring that pain to the surface. So this is a, an exercise that I encourage people to do, not with everyone, just with the two to three relationships you really care about. Really write that down in a paper, in one Word document. What do you actually want that relationship to look like moving forward in the future? What's the dream here? We're all joyful. We're not arguing. And bring that vision to life. Yeah, I like that. I think that uh, if you kind of keep that in mind, then also, it, like if you're talking with someone who is a buddy, like I, I've, it seems like every place that I've worked at, I've always, uh, you know, met someone that has a very differing opinion than I, and we always just debate, like, you know, we'll just talk and talk and talk about different things, about current events. And there's like a mutual respect there for each other's opinion. And I, I think it's, you know, powerful to, if you think, Hey, this is someone I have to work with a lot. This is someone that uh, is becoming my friend. Uh, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to say, uh, you know, I can I can disagree with them, but I don't want to say like offensive things, uh, to, to or try to offend them or or make attacks on them when they when they make an argument. I, I'll, I'll attack the argument, but not them. And so by defining that and understanding that, you really can go cl grow closer to that person, even when you have those disagreements. Correct. And the other piece I'll layer on top of that is whenever we disagree fundamentally with someone, guys, always start with what you agree with first. And also start with what you're grateful for. That especially works with close family members, significant others, kids. Start with what you're grateful for, then go into what you have in common, then tackle the disagreement. If you do that, the energy is very different in that interaction. Yeah, we probably have more in common than we think in, in many cases. Speaking about speaking about energy, um, and and I, I want to keep the conversation positive, but I thought it would be interesting to talk about Please. what are some uh, common, let's say, maybe some examples or, or common downfalls of poor communication. I mean, what, what have you seen that it's just like, yeah, don't do that? Right. So you're right, Ethan. I do like to spin it more in a positive sense because we have enough fear and stress and anxiety to deal with. Like people always start conversing in my field, experts in my field, like the other people in my industry. They always start with that. Like, oh, the number one fear in the world is like death. Actually, it's communication. It's not death. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, I can touch upon it a little bit, but you're right. I, I definitely prefer the positive end of things. Which is, of course, you know, you won't get promoted. You won't get into management if that's what you want to do in your career. If you don't have great communication, you can't level up. It's, it's, it, you can, but it just makes your life a lot harder, right? Like Elon Musk did it, but he's the exception, not the norm, right? So, so let's not work through exceptions, like work through norms. Same thing as a business owner. If you know how to speak and communicate ideas, it's a lot easier for you to retain your teams because you're understanding their specific human needs 
and you're able to adapt to them a lot quicker. You have a lot more adaptability. And the other piece is obviously speaking on a stage like this, a podcast, a stage, or a real-life stage. If you're speaking to a 1,000 ideal clients in an hour, you can close like a 15 clients in, in 60 minutes instead of going running from networking event to networking event. A lot easier to scale your business. If you don't have that skill set, you don't lose, but it just becomes harder to win. And obviously, romantic relation, then I'll stop the negativity for today, is, yeah, I mean, my goodness, if you don't know how to communicate with your kids and the people around you, you're just setting a bad example for how they're going to argue. So if you're all yelling all the time and you're, you're doing ums and ahs, you're making tons of mistakes, that's what we're teaching our children to do and how to argue with the people around them. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. So, yeah, let's, let's try and avoid that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I was uh, having a good communication or relationship with your spouse is critical uh and that especially because uh lots of times you know you can't read your wife's mind uh, even though she might think you might so communicating that you, you you can't read her mind or that asking her questions uh is critical because uh sometimes maybe she'll be assuming that you're going to do something or that you know something that you have <clears throat> no idea <laughs> so that's important i wanted to ask you one question uh that Maybe it's a clear answer, but maybe you have some type of really cool gem insight that I can't think of. Sure. As a podcaster, uh, Ethan and I, obviously, we get a lot of practice uh, speaking over the podcast airwaves, I guess you could say. And Ethan and I are trying to focus on saying less filler words like um and and uh, and they're just like uh. And so... I do the editing for our podcast and I, I look back and I'm like, you know, some of the podcasts where we tell stories and they're off of bullet points. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is atrocious. And it takes me like three times as long to edit the podcast because I'm trying to go in there, clean up all some of the ands and ums. So that it actually sounds like a cohesive story and not just like a, someone stalling for, for something to happen. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> aside from the power of the paw, I, I know that we, we, I try to utilize the power of the pause instead of, saying um or and but what other suggestions would you give i mean listening back obviously as a podcaster i do listen back and i'm like oh my gosh this is something i definitely need to work on in fact the other day i beat in report podcast and i was like oh I, I think you said a lot of ams and ums in that one he's like yeah i probably did and then i listened to it and i was like oh and me too so uh you know listening back definitely has helped but what other suggestions would you give for someone who's trying to stop saying that those kind of fill words you were right to ask the question. I do have an additional insight. So there's two, there's two parts to that. One thing that let me reassure both of you on, and is really hard to notice. So if you're, if you're using and as a filler word, you don't have to worry too much about it. Focus more on the ums. That's what people can hear and notice because it's obvious. Whereas if I go, hey, I was talking to Sherry and her sister and also her brother and we all had a conversation around what the future would look like. And then after I went for breakfast with my friend Jill, notice how like it's somewhat noticeable, but not really. You don't really go, oh, you said and four times. Like, no, nobody's. Whereas if I go, um, and then I said, uh, and that's a lot more noticeable. So that's well, the usually, first well, Usually we do this and <laughs> right so do that but then keep your eyes on the camera lens so go and this <laughs> yes <laughs> so that's the first piece the second piece is how to get better so yes pausing does remove filler words if you do it effectively enough but there's an additional exercise that actually expedites your learning 
called The Endless Gaze. So this is what both of you are going to do with your wives or girlfriends. I'm not going to assume both of you are married. but, but both we are, are. We're both married and we both have four kids. So we're, we're well Each? into marriage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I don't know. Honestly, you both look my age. I don't know why. But <laughs> Thank you. I didn't want to assume. Yeah. Anyways, so here's what both of you are going to do. This is actually what I get my clients to do with their significant other, and it scares the living bejeebies out of them, is you sit down your wife, and you do the endless gaze, which is you stare into their eyes for three minutes without saying a word. That's it. No kids. Lock them all up in their bedrooms or something. So for three minutes, you just stare at them. And what you're doing is you're practicing pausing for uncomfortably long periods of time. I know people have been married for 15 years, and they can't do it with their significant others in three minutes. It's a really challenging exercise. And then if you can spice it up, you can go to five minutes. And women love this, by the way, so I encourage you to do this. If they're out there. They, they go crazy over this. But anyways, the point I want to drive is it helps us pause. So right now, you guys are trying to pause in your speech. But the reason I'm not saying filler words, and you guys are, is because I can pause for 10 minutes. Like, I can look at people for 10 minutes in the audience and not say a word. So whenever I'm about to say, um it's really easy for me to pause for two seconds. So the idea is to do the harder thing so that you get that accountability and get it sorted. So there you go. There's the challenge. Let's see if you tear up for it. Oh yeah, definitely. So when you're staring into your, your, my wife's eyes, is she allowed to speak? No, you're staring into my, your wife's eyes. I'm not staring into your wife's oh, yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. When I'm that staring would into be my weird. <laughs> I changed mid sentence, you versus me. Yeah. So when I'm staring into my wife's eyes, uh, is she allowed to be talking or are we both no. supposed to be silent? No, no, no. No talking whatsoever. No phones either. You're literally just staring into her eyes. And she can't be talking. Well, she can't be talking to me either. Nope. Okay. It's just complete silence. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to try that. I think that. Uh... See, Jared's already panicking. He's like, oh, yeah. oh. No, I was like, maybe this is what they call the female gaze. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's. Uh, I think it'll do it. I'll try it, and then we'll report back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> there you go. I was gonna say, my wife and I, we we kind of communicate with our eyes. Like we could just sit down, and she could just look at me, and she could just tell me her whole day story uh, about what the kids were doing, and I could tell her my whole day story just by looking at each other's eyes. So I think there's a lot of communication that happens non-verbally as well. <laughs> For sure. I was just going to say, um, I, th I think another kind of a, a good thing is, too, in, in learning to better your communication is Jared and I, obviously, you know, we're brothers and we we have a relationship such to where if I give a terrible story presentation, and I say terrible, but maybe it's fulls of ums and ahs and, and, and didn't really have flow or whatever else, you know, I feel comfortable enough with Jared to where if he said, oh, man, that was a little rough. You know, it's not like I know he's not like judging me and, and now he doesn't want to be my podcast partner anymore or whatever else. And he might even joke about it and be like, man, that one's going to be hard to edit, whatever it might be. And, we, you know, we, we, we work together with stuff. But I think having someone uh, that you trust to um, maybe not really judge, but to give you feedback on your communication could be beneficial. 
Absolutely. The piece I want to drive with what you said is the accountability is really, really important, where it really comes down to finding the people around you who aren't afraid to tell you the truth. I mean, I sucked at the beginning, team. That's why I'm so passionate about communication, because I'm like a textbook example of someone who sucked at it. Like I grew up in Montreal in Canada. For those who don't know, Montreal is a city where you need to, to speak French, which was language I wasn't fluent in. So my until now, obviously. So my whole life, I was presenting in a language I didn't know. That's one. Second thing is I have a crooked left arm that's still crooked to this day because of a surgery I had when I was younger. So I had a lot of worries whenever I get on stage because I'm in front of a classroom. People can see that my arm, my left arm isn't straight. So it always bothered me. And then the third piece, it's like I got a bachelor's degree in accounting. It's like the opposite of what you think a master communicator would study in. So if I could do this, anyone can. Excellent. Thanks. That's a that's a great personal insight. And I love how that, you know, even despite those insecurities that you might have, you could still go out there and knock it out of the park. Correct. Well, let's let's ask you our, our, our last question here, because I know you got to go. But uh, as we ask all of our guests, we ask about their to share a little bit of their personal creed. A creed is a, a set of principles or, or beliefs that you live by. And we'd love to hear a piece of your personal creed uh, that motivates you or that keeps you going. I got a bunch, but I'll give you one, yes. which is my favorite. Be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you made it all the way to the end of this interview, 56 minutes in, you're probably someone who's really passionate about doing something important with your life. So my advice is really simple. Realize that the people who do crazy things with their life are often crazy people. Don't you find it odd, guys? That as a 22-year-old kid, I started a YouTube channel not on pranks, not on music videos, not on skits, but on executive communication tips. And then I went on to coach some of the top executives and CEOs on the planet. And then I do this full-time, yet I still live in my mother's basement. I have a car, but I'm too scared to drive it. I'm a top 1% listener on Spotify for Justin Bieber. I can karaoke in eight different languages, and I love clubbing with my family twice a year. How does any of this make any sense at all? And that, my friends, is the point. When every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that it should, which is you, you're probably making the right decision. So I always like to say be insane or be the same. <laughs> I love it. We're going to quote you on that. Go for it. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of invented that because I realized it rhymed in my basement. I said, oh, insane rhymes with sane. This is it. This is my, this is my legacy. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on today. And for our, our, our listeners out there, we'll have all of uh, Brennan's links in, in our episode show notes. Go check him out on Instagram uh, as well as his YouTube channel. Uh, and if you're really interested up in your game, uh, maybe he can be uh, a coach to you as well. Uh, on the side. So Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today. And for all of our viewers and listeners out there, let's build that creed together. All right. Thanks, Brendan. Nice to see you.